when the life of any church, there are certain milestone days which um, people of the church never forget. I remember I was speaking with, uh, I was speaking, I was in a question and answer session, and uh, Kent Hughes, pastor of College Church down in Wheaton, Illinois, was asked one time, What was the best of all your days in ministry? And uh, he reflected upon it, and here he is, he's this pastor of a church, I don't know, several, five, ten thousand people, and uh, has written many, many books, and is very, quote-unquote, successful from the, the worldly vantage point of view. And what he said is, he reflected back to his time of church planting in California. Actually, it wasn't a real successful church plant, but he was planting, and uh, the church did build a building. And uh, they had built a building and they were around uh, doing some landscaping on Saturday just before they'd enter their new building. And just the Sunday uh, that they, they came in, they said the worship service was joyous. People were unified. And he said he would never forget that day. And I think today is some sense a day like that for Rock Valley Bible Church. It's a milestone day. Many of you remember July 2nd, 1998. We met in the Pearson's home for the very first time. Had a Bible study, just praying that God would establish a church in Rockford. July 2nd, 2000, we began meeting at Valley Baptist Church for Sunday evening services. And many of you remember that. And all of you, I hope, remember March 3rd, 2002, which is when we as a first time get to meet here in this place. It's really a milestone day for us, an opportunity really for us to to look ahead to see what it is that God will do, see what God has done, and see what God will do. Well, let me just pray right now before we even would get into the Scripture, just thanking the Lord for this place and everything that He's given to us so far. Lord, we do thank You for Your blessing upon Rock Valley Bible Church. That You have blessed us God, abundantly even beyond what we could ask or think. You have given us this morning a a Sunday morning meeting place in which for us to meet. God, we thank You for this place. And we would pray even today for the future ministry that we would have as we meet and gather together week in, week out in this place. We do indeed seek Your blessing in all things. And God, this place has been a gift from You and we pray that we would treat it as such and thank You for what You have given and yet really focus our attention upon what it is You've done in our lives, how You've matured us and sanctified us and brought us more and more into the image of Your Son. And we do look forward to the things in the future. God, when the difficulties and trials that come upon us, God, as they refine us and purify us and make us holy, God, we can rejoice in those things and would pray, Father, that You would seek to magnify Yourself, magnify Your Son in this place. God, I do also pray, just especially at at this hour, this time when we would open the Scriptures, I would pray that my words, my thoughts, God, might be Spirit-empowered. God, that the the words that would come forth from me would sink deep into the hearts of us all, that we would be convicted of our faithlessness and seek in in every way to be faithful to You and seek to love and adore Your Son. I would pray 
God, that in this time that You would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, just what it is that You would call us to be and do as a church as we look upon, as we anticipate years of ministry and being together with one another. I pray Your Spirit to be amongst us now to teach us and guide us in all things. We do pray in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd have you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Perhaps some of you saw it on the notes there and are there already. If not, turn to Acts chapter 20. I feel like a, a special occasion like this demands a, a special message. And of any passage in the Scripture, I feel like this is one appropriate for us this morning. It, it deals with Paul bidding farewell to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Bidding them on never to see them again, as verse 25 says. Giving them advice that they need to shepherd the church of God without Him. And I think as we, in some sense, depart from Kishwaukee Bible Church today, it's appropriate for us to look at the Apostles' admonitions. I mean, if Paul would tell us anything, if he would come and visit Rockford off to his way to China, to his death, as he was persecuted there, what would he tell us? And I think he would tell us what he told the Ephesian elders here in Acts chapter 20. You remember last week, at Kishwaukee Bible Church. Don gave us an illustration. He gave us parting words of advice. You remember, he gave us the illustration of a mother sending her child off to school or off to college or off to someplace. And I have a picture there on the children's notes of a mother just down right next to her child. And just what is it that a mother would say to a child before the child would, would go off and depart? And you remember what Don said? What did he say? Anybody? It fell on deaf ears, maybe. What did he say? Be careful, is what he said. Be careful out there. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to continue the illustration this morning. You know, doesn't the son or daughter going off to school respond? I mean, if mom says, be careful, what do you say to mom? Oh, be careful. Right? You have a chance of affirmation. And on Sunday, really, I didn't have a chance to respond. We didn't have a chance to respond to the church. That's okay. But this morning, I'd like to respond to His words. Just to say, you know what? I will be careful. And we will be careful. And in many ways, Paul's instruction here to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 exactly parallels what Don says. He said, look, it says there in um, verse 31, be on the alert. It says in verse 28, be on guard. Again, these are the only two commands mentioned in this passage, and they speak about being alert, being on guard, being careful. And so what I'd like to do this morning is really respond to Don's charge to be careful out there by expositing this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 35. And in doing so, what I'd like to do is affirm my heart to you all as the Apostle Paul affirmed his heart to the Ephesian elders. Much of this message, I feel, is going to be personal and from the heart. It's going to be my heart to your heart. And I want to use Paul's words as a springboard to affirm my desires for you at Rock Valley Bible Church, my desires for myself and my perspective of shepherding the church of God. Thus, I've entitled my message this morning, The Pastor's Shepherding Work. Because that's what Paul said. Paul said, when I was with you in Ephesus, these are the things I did. And now I'm giving to you, elders, what it is you need to do in terms of a church. And in many ways, he's going to offer his own life as an example to the elders of what it is he did and say, 
You all follow in my steps. Do the things that I did. Well, let's begin the text. We actually, the best place to begin is in verse 16 when we pick up the context of Paul's journey. He's near the end of his third missionary journey. He's on his way back to Jerusalem on a strict schedule. He wants to get there before Pentecost. Pentecost is a day in the life of Jerusalem when many people flood Jerusalem. I remember we were there. We happened to be in Israel four years ago, maybe now, three years ago. I'm not sure. And we were there in the inner city. There's lots of things happening. But on the day of Pentecost, we got there. I think we were going out of the city to Masada on that day. But all of a sudden, you have all these Jews all over just show up. It's like they came out of the woodwork and came from the walls. We didn't know where they came from. But all of a sudden, all these Jews were all over the place. And Paul wanted to get back to Jerusalem for when everybody would, be, would come and everybody would be around. He wanted to be with the people there and worship in Jerusalem. He's on a strict schedule. But... He was in a quandary because he had a heart for the people in Ephesus. And here he was going to Jerusalem and his people at Ephesus where he spent three years were on his heart. But he knew that if he stepped foot in Ephesus, it'd just be too long. Right, Judy, you know what that was about last week. You were reunited with some of your Christian friends and were there and up till what, 1.30 in the morning? You said, just talking and talking. That would be Paul. He'd be there for days talking with those in Ephesus whom he loved and adored. But he wanted to get back. And in verse 16, it says, Paul had decided to, to sail past Ephesus, I'm sure against his will and against his desire, but he desired to sail past Ephesus because he knew he wouldn't make it then in time to Jerusalem in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. So what did he do? He sailed past Ephesus, but as the ship ported, it ported in the sea town of Miletus, which is about 30 miles south of Ephesus. They're going to be there for presumably a couple of days. He sent a messenger up 30 miles north, about a day's journey. Unless you're really fast and a track runner like Steve Belanger used to be, maybe you could make it a little faster. But called the elders and said, Come down. Paul wants to say goodbye to you. wants to give you some parting words of advice. And that's what happens. In verse 17, he says, From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. The elders traveled. They're 30 miles south. To meet Paul, and when they arrived, Paul spoke to them, saying these words. Let me just read his speech to you. Certainly he said more than this, but this is really typical of what exactly he said. He said, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life on any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. One of the most tender scenes in all the Bible. Paul knew he'd never see these people again. And the response was appropriate. Verse 36. When he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them. Presumably even right there on the beach. And began weeping aloud and embraced, they embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. My mind was drawn back to the death of Rich Kearns, the pastor at Grace Church of DuPage, which started Kishwaukee Bible Church, which is starting Rock Valley Bible Church. He was a man who was dearly loved. He became pastor of Grace Church in the 1980s and fully devoted himself to the work of the church. He cared deeply for them and they cared deeply for him. But in the providence of God, cancer took his life in 1994. And he had a big impact on the people at, the, at Grace Church of DuPage. In fact, the impact, I continue to feel it. I go to my dad's study at his home and he's got a picture there of Rich sitting in a chair when our church, Kishwaukee Bible Church, was only in the home. And he's sitting there my dad was kind of talking to him on his knees. And just it kind of gives you an impact upon the impact that uh, Rich Kearns had. And the people of Grace Church will never see Rich Kearns again until they join him in glory. And the people at Rich's death were separated from him. And there was much tears and much anguish and much difficulty because a dearly loved man had departed from their sight. And I think of even here that the response was appropriate. They, they wept and cried and embraced Paul because here was a dearly loved man giving parting advice to those whom he loves greatly knowing that they'll never see each other again. Perhaps it was a little bit like our separation from Kishwaukee Bible Church last week. Some of you are sad. I saw it in your faces. But you know what? We'll be back and we'll see people at Kishwaukee Bible Church again. Any Sunday, you have my permission to go back and join them at Kishwaukee Bible Church. We'll have conferences together. We'll, um, we'll have a uh, you know, men's exposition conference. We'll do that. Christmas concert. Um, you know, we'll do that. Any kind of opportunity we have to be together. We're seeking to continue our relationship with them as we've done with Grace Church of the Valley. So you'll see them. But these people will never see Paul again going off to Jerusalem. Well, let's look at a speech in verse 18. I've just tried to build the intensity of, of this situation, if you will. And it really breaks down into four sections. 
four sections his speech does, and every section, except the first one, the first one he's just starting the first section, but every section begins with two words, and now. And children, you can circle these words in your text there. And now. Verse 22, look where it starts. And now. Behold, here I go. Verse 25 starts. And now. And verse 32 starts. And now. He's just changing the focus a little bit and it's appropriate. Anytime there are verbal cues in a scripture to use those as keys and symbols to highlight your passage, to outline your passage appropriately. So we'll have four points in my sermons tonight. And the first one is going to begin in verse 18 and goes through verse 21. Paul really looks back at his past ministry. Paul's ministry. He says in verse 18, You yourselves know from the first day set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have here a summation of Paul's ministry. Before he just tells the elders what their advice would be, he says, okay, let's think about it. You remember my ministry. And of anything, in these four verses, he encapsulizes what his ministry was about. His ministry really had two characteristics. The first one was service in verse 18 and 19. He says, the first day I set foot in Asia, I was with you the whole time. He was there serving them. And this is what pastoral ministry is about. It's about being with people. Pastors of a church shouldn't be untouchable and unreachable and undistant. They should be with people. And that's what Paul said. I was with you. In verse 31, we know that for three years he was with them. And the sense here of verse 18 is really he was with them, helping them, serving them, teaching them. Listen, he wasn't in his ivory tower simply reading and enjoying his Puritans. He wasn't a fly-by-night evangelist who had a few meetings and then left town. He wasn't a conference speaker who had his topic, which he liked to talk about, come and talk here and then leave. No, he was a pastor who was with them all the time, as any pastor should be. And this is my desire, to be with you at Rock Valley Bible Church. I want to serve you and help you and teach you and guide you and direct you in any way that I can. And we've taken efforts as our family to seek to do that. Uh, We've established a Friday night dinner ministry where we've tried to have all the families just kind of rotating around, just forcing ourselves to force you to be in our home to be with us. And really, it's a direct application of this verse why we do that. We've had many of you in our homes. Uh, Some of you we've missed, haven't quite got there, but we're getting there. And we'll just continue to do what we can to be with you with that Friday night ministries. And I would say for you all, invent ways for us to be with you as well. Invite us for dinner. Invite us to ball games. Invite us to other places, events. Whatever we can do just to be with you. That's our life. Our life is to be with you. And you can help me, and I want to seek to do everything I can to help you in that. He describes his serving ministry further in verse 19 where he says, I was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that came upon me through the plots of the Jews. He served really with a humble attitude is what he said there. I mean, He says with all humility. He wasn't the high and mighty reverend Apostle Paul. No. His perspective was that of a lowly servant who served with tears and with trials. In other words, Paul wasn't among them for his own glory to lift himself up. He was there. He considered others as more important than himself. 
And again, using this as a springboard to affirm my desire for you all. I'm not in Rockford for myself. I'm not in Rockford for my glory. I'm not here to build a church for me. I'm here for you. However I can help you, that's what I want to do. I think of men without jobs and my heart is with you. Marriages with difficulties, my heart is with you. Difficulties that come, I'm there with you. Families that struggle with unbelievers, I'm there with you. I want to be with you and be your servant and help you in every way. And I think by way of application here, just one, one little thing. Just I want you to think about how you address me, how you think of me, how you call me. Let me affirm to you, you don't have to call me Pastor Steve. And some of you do, and that's fine. If you're kids, if you want to you know, give me a reverence, if you will, and, and have them call you know, uh, me Pastor Steve, that's fine. But I want to work hard at avoiding the dangers of the Jews. Remember Jesus said to them, don't let anyone call you rabbi, don't let anyone call you teacher, don't let anyone call you leader. Don't let anyone call you father, because He said there's one Father who's in heaven, there's one teacher, you're all brothers, there's one leader that is Christ, but the greatest of you shall be your servant. My parents gave me the name Steve, it's been good enough for them. hope it's good enough for you. I just don't want to be called the most high, holy, reverend Steve. If you call me Pastor Steve, that's fine, okay? But know my heart in that. You know, if you're looking for something to call me, call me Steve, it's fine. And just I think that helps to create a humility. With, I'm one of you. I'm not, I'm not up and high and pie in the sky. Well, his ministry was, Paul's ministry is characterized by service. And I want to serve you and help you as well. Paul gives another characteristic of his ministry in 20 through 21, which was speaking. His speaking ministry. Talking. He served and yet he also talked. He says in verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house. Listen, Paul didn't withhold his teaching. He didn't fear men in his teaching. He was always teaching what's profitable. Publicly, privately, always just talking, 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 proclaiming, proclaiming, proclaiming. Whatever opportunities he had, he was teaching, 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 speaking. His message is given right here in verse 21. Solemnly testifying, seriously, diamartoromai, just solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks, the same message, same people, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is his message, real simple, two elements, repentance and faith. This is what Jesus preached, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Look at the apostles, what Peter preached, Acts 2.38, Acts 3.18. Repent and believe. So Paul preached, repentance toward God and faith in Lord Jesus Christ and what I endeavor to speak as well. I was speaking recently, this is past week, with a pastor who's building a building at the church and he was telling me about some of the things that uh, are going to be on the church. He's got stained glass windows. And uh, I don't know where the stained glass window is going to be, but it's going to say it's something about we believe in salvation, the cry of the Reformation. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Except he said we're modifying it a little bit due to our American Christianity, which has strayed understanding what it means to have faith. He said we're, our, our stained glass is going to say salvation by grace alone, through repentant faith alone, in Christ alone. I think he's exactly right. True faith is always a repentant faith. 
It's a faith that, that is repentant of your sin, that sees your sin, and that hates it. Next week, in fact, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who are broken over their sin, and repented over that, and then have a faith and trust in Jesus then to forgive that sin. Those who see their sin and realize their bankruptcy before God are always repentant. They're always submissive. They hate their sin. And that's the repentance and faith of which Paul speaks of in verse 21. It's his message. Well, his ministry is described in verse 18 through 21. Let's look next. Point number two, Paul's destiny. The first point he looked at his past. Now he's going to look at his future, his personal future. He says, and now, there it is, that word again, kids, if it's not circled, you can circle it in verse 22. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me that in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Listen, he knew that his ministry was not for ease and comfort. It had been prophesied of him that he would encounter trouble in Jerusalem. In fact, he says, in every city, the Holy Spirit keeps testifying, going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer. Afflictions await me. Yet, he would face it head on. A good example of that that came is over in chapter 21. If you look there at chapter 21, verse 10, a certain man, it says, they were staying there, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt. You know, can you imagine this guy coming and taking the belt off of somebody, you know, unloosing it, untying it, taking it off, tying his hands and tying his feet. As it says in verse 11, he said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now think about that. You're on your way. I'm on my way to Chicago, and I come to Belvedere, and somebody takes my belt off and binds my hands and feet. And says, "This is what awaits you downtown Chicago." What would I do? I'd pull a Jonah. Right? I'd go off to Tarshish, but that's not what Paul did. Paul abandoned everything for the name of Lord Jesus Christ. If you look what he says in verse 12, when you heard this, as well as the local residents. They began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. That hopefully is your response. Hopefully you're not saying, Steve, go to Chicago. Go on. Hopefully you're saying, no, no, don't go. Don't go. Telling him to stay. What Paul said is, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I'm not ready only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he wouldn't be persuaded, we felt silent. Verse 14, remarking the will of the Lord will be done. And Paul was resolved in his own heart, in his own mind, to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. He knew this on the day of his conversion. In Acts chapter 9, the Holy Spirit said, He's a, whole, a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This was the destiny of Paul. He knew that his ministry was not going to be an easy road. He knew that he would suffer greatly for the name of the Lord Jesus. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he just knew that bonds and afflictions awaited him. J.C. Ryle writes of the call of every minister of the Gospel. He says this, Let it never surprise us when we hear of faithful ministers of the Gospel being spoken against 
hated, and reviled. Let us rather remember that they are ordained to bear witness against sin, the world, and the devil. And if they are faithful, they cannot help but give offense. It's no disgrace to a minister's character to be disliked by the wicked and ungodly. It's no disgrace to a minister's character to be disliked by the wicked and ungodly. It's no real honor to a minister to be thought well of by everybody. Those words of our Lord ought are not considered enough. Woe to you when men speak well of you. Listen, Paul was prepared for the difficulties, his destiny that would await him in Jerusalem. And verse 24 really gives you a perspective of his life. He says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, if my life is to be governed by self-comfort and self-preservation and self-promotion, you know what? I would not be living here in Rockford today. I think about Kishwaukee Community Hospital where I left. Things were comfortable. I was earning there far more than I ever needed financially. I was working a job I thoroughly enjoyed. Of any company in town, we were one of the most stable companies. I mean, a hospital doesn't very often go out of business, especially when it's the only hospital in town. In terms of my seniority, I was very senior in my job. My job was very secure. My boss liked me. People liked me. The work I did. I lived in my hometown with lots of friends and lots of family. My parents were six homes up the street. I was just telling Phil Gusky how on a day like this, I just walked up the street and grabbed the uh, snowblower and then blowed down to my place and blowed and then swooped back the other way. But I'm shoveling now. Someday I'll, I'll get a snowblower. It was a comfortable life. It really was. But our life isn't about comfort. My life isn't about enduring myself. If I wanted to do that, I'd still be in DeKalb. It's not. But God has placed a burden on my heart to know Him and to make Him known and as Paul said, to accomplish the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. That is my heart to you. And today, the plan for my life is pastoring Rock Valley Bible Church and I'm thrilled to be here. And I believe God has exciting things for us in store as we watch Him build His church. It's been really the thrill of my life to see Kishwaukee Bible Church go from our house and 14 people one Sunday morning, Saturday night, to what it is today. And I long to see Rock Valley Bible Church do the same things. Easy things? No. Thrilling things? Yes. There's nothing I'd rather do than to be here with you all. And that's what my life is, about solemnly testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. That's what my life's about. Solemnly testifying that in Jesus Christ there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, those who have a repentant faith in Jesus Christ no longer stand condemned in their sins. It's wonderful grace of God. Grace that is greater than our sin. Listen, though we've sinned and deserve eternal damnation and punishment in hell forever, Almighty, holy, infinite God is not against us as our sins deserve, but He's for us. He didn't spare His Son, but gave Him up for us all. And as Paul said, if He did that, why won't He give us all things? Of course He will. I heard someone say this week that the Gospel, the grace of God, often seems too good to be true. And it is. And you realize your state against the Holy God and His 
grace and His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And that's what my life is about. And as Don reminded us, this message ought to be kept in the forefront of our minds. And I will seek to do that whatever way I can. Because it's not because we're working so hard up here at Rock Valley Bible Church. It's not because you're working so hard in your disciplines of daily devotion. No, it's because God is gracious. That's Paul's destiny. Let's look next. Verse 25 begins with, and now, at Paul's prophecy. I stretched on this one a little bit, but his prophecy, his prediction. And really, there are two prophecies in this passage. The first one comes in verse 25. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Simple prophecy. We've talked about this. We've alluded to this. He's prophesying of his departure from them. He'll never see them again. He says, therefore, verse 26, again, Paul in this passage is always looking back at what his ministry was like. He says, therefore, I testify this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shriek from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Listen, his, his goal in Ephesus wasn't to create a group of people that would hang on every word of Paul. They would say, oh, what do we need to do next? Paul, tell us. He never wanted people to be dependent upon him. He let it all out and he held nothing back so that he could leave and say, I'm innocent because I've told you everything that you need to know. And his goal at Ephesus Bible Church was to entrust everything to them that he knew. A complete understanding of God's will and intention and plan for mankind that he might leave them innocent. Listen, he didn't shrink from declaring to them from eternity past, of God's predestinating purpose before the world began. This is the purpose of God. Of His electing love, which predestined some to life in Christ Jesus. Of His timing in the fullness of time, sending forth His Son. His sovereignty of God putting His Son to death. And as Isaiah 53 says, was pleased to crush Him. That's the purpose of God, not holding that back of God's power then and being able to keep us from the evil one, of His work in continuing to conform us to the image of His Son, that in the future He might display His glories of His grace. That's the whole purpose of God. Eternity past of what happened before the world was created, what happened with Adam and Eve and through Israel and all the way down through the future of where we are. That's the whole purpose of God. He didn't shrink from declaring anything. He didn't edit His message he wasn't one who, you know, sought to change the message. He saw himself as a messenger with a message to deliver and delivered that message. And I want to, again, just use this as an opportunity to affirm to you as Rock Valley Bible Church, this is my goal. I don't want to hold anything back. What I know, what I see from the Scriptures, I want to teach it to you. It's all profitable. It's what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says. It's all profitable. For teaching, reproof, correction, and training of righteousness. Teach the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. And when I leave Rock Valley Bible Church, either by natural causes when God takes me home five years from now, or 55 years from now, or I'm imprisoned for the Gospel, or when you send us to plant another church, Listen, my goal is that I might be innocent of the blood of all men because I've faithfully communicated the whole counsel of God to you. That's what Paul said to do. That's what I want to do. And I feel strongly in my heart that the best way to do this is through expositorily preaching the Scriptures. 
passage by passage, verse by verse, we let God determine the topic and not us. If I preach topically, it allows me to choose the topics and it's going to put the pressure and burden on me to seek that I'm, I'm innocent. But if I say, God, I just opened your word and we went through it verse by verse, step by step, then topics will come up. And topics have already come up that I would rather not have dealt with we've had to deal with. And in the future, I think of things to deal with that I'd rather not. If I was preaching topically, I'd just whoop, go right around that verse and not deal with that topic. But some hard things will come up. And we'll do that. At Rock Valley Bible Church, we hold no secrets. There's no inner circle. It's all laid open and bare. I want to do that Sunday in, Sunday out, Monday in, Monday out, Tuesday in, Tuesday out, just always seeking to do that. And again, Paul describes his message here. Describing it, declaring the whole purpose of God. We missed, we skipped over verse 25, preaching the kingdom. Solemnly, the grace of God, repentance and faith. You know, Paul's message wasn't just single. It was, it was this whole thing, you know, culminating on our response of repentance and faith towards Him. But talking about His kingdom, talking about how God established His kingdom, how He's establishing His kingdom for Himself and for all His glory. Receiving glory in the ages to come. Listen, this is what biblical theology is about. Putting our Bibles together and how it is that it all fits together. And that's my goal. That's my desire. Well, in verse 29, he gives his second prophecy. We're going to skip over 28 because 29 gives the prophecy and then 28 explains how to deal with the problem. He says in verse 29, he says, I know that all of you will see my face no more. Verse 25. Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after them. Don's exhortation last week was exactly appropriate for us, right? Be careful. That's what he says here. He says, be careful. Be on guard. I know the savage wolves are going to come. And these are those who want to come into our church and ravage it as a wolf would a flock of sheep. These wolves are vicious, as it says. They're savage. These wolves show no mercy in that they do not spare the flock. And what they do is they'll come in and attack the leaders of the church, attack their teaching, their character, their activities. And they'll throw up accusations and see whatever can stick. That's why it's important that an elder be above reproach. The accusations don't stick. But they'll try and try and try and find what they can do to find an accusation that will stick. And then they'll persuade you all to follow them rather than following your leaders, your elders. Rip the church asunder. And often they'll come in undetected. It's a fearful thing in verse 30 when it says, these wolves will arise from your own selves. Who's he talking to in this passage? Not to the church. He's talking to the elders. Wolves are going to come in even among the elder board. And when it occurs, it will shock many. Jesus said that many will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They keep their lambskin on and they remain undetected until the time comes. They're going to take off their lambskin and unleash their deadly attack. They're going to bear their vicious teeth. Like a, a fox in a chicken coop. So they'll seek to destroy those in the church. And I've seen this. I've seen men come in and rip and ravage churches apart. Seek to discredit the elders. And then what happens oftentimes when somebody comes up and arises and has accusations, 
these people who concern themselves so much with the church and the purity of the church are like the first ones to go with the following. They're not concerned with the church to keep the church, to help the church, to unify the church. They want to just accuse whoever's there and then they're gone. How many of you have ever seen people who make great stinks about people within the leadership of a church or ministry stay around? I remember we had a college ministry out in California we were part of and a huge stink. Actually, I left, so I wasn't part of it. It was great. I was out here in Illinois. But huge stink came up. And what happened? These people claimed to concern themselves so much for the church. And then what happened? Is that you look a little bit later and they're gone. They're not part of the group. If they concern themselves, they'll desire to be with the group and help the, church, the group. But they just left and departed. And so with respect to this, I think there are two applications. One is 1 Timothy 5.20 you can just write it down. Check in your notes when I send them out this week. It talks about dealing with unrepentant elders who continue in sin. They're to be rebuked strongly in the presence of all. And I ask if that comes someday that you would support me in that. I think also, a second application is that we ought to be slow in identifying other men for pastoral and deacon work. In 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul says, Don't lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thus incur the responsibility for the sins of others. In other words, you put your hands on somebody as an elder or pastor or teacher who's really a wolf, and it's your responsibility if you laid hands on them. So you just need to be slow about that. You just need to make sure that the wolves are not coming from our midst. And if the church at Ephesus wasn't immune to the wolf problem, neither is Rock Valley Bible Church immune either. Well, Paul gives two instructions to solve the wolf problem. Verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. And the second one is found in verse 31. Be on the alert. They're essentially synonyms. Be on guard. Be on the alert. Keep your antennas open. Don't be sleepy. But be on the alert. Watch. Paul told the elders you know, to watch and to make things pass under your inspection. I think it's security guards at... Um, uh, airports. What do they do? They, they watch. They're watching people come in and they're you know, sorting it out and checking it out. And it would be a disservice. They would not do their job if they let a passenger on board a plane with a bag full of knives. And so likewise, it would be a poor job if a pastor of a church let elders come in in the midst to have knives in their packages or have you know, wolf teeth on. They're not to be that way. But notice the order what Paul says. Be on guard. He says, don't look first at the church, but look at yourselves first. The order. They're to be diligently watching themselves first and then to be watching others. Again, 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Paul told Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And we could speak a long time about this. But let me simply say that my first and greatest responsibility as a shepherd of Rock Valley Bible Church is the nurture and cultivation in my own heart the presence of God. That I might look to myself first. You know, as such, I've sought to begin every day I work with reading the Scripture for an hour and praying for an hour. Every day. And I don't say that to put myself up because there's been lots of times where I fail in that. Because there are pressures that have to be done and sometimes I think about two hours of my day wiped out just Nothing. It's hard sometimes. But that's my priority, to spend time with God myself, to pray for you all with a significant portion of my time, to focus my heart upon that. 
And I realize the importance of having a Christ-anointed ministry of my life. You know, it's been said, it's a frightful thing to perish in the shadow of a gospel pulpit. But it's doubly bad thing to perish in the pulpit because you're so concerned with others rather than yourself. And I realize that to be on guard for the church, I need to be first on guard for myself. And so likewise, other pastors, other elders, other deacons need to do exactly the same thing. Well, Paul concludes verse 31, this section. He says, Remembering night and day for a period of three years, I didn't cease to admonish you with tears. His perspective was work was never finished. And I feel like my work is never done either. Just always laboring, laboring, laboring. And I want to be a pastor like Paul. I want to be with you and admonish you day and night. Whatever time's convenient for you is convenient for me. I can shift and change my schedule. I want to be with you whenever I can. Many of you know that my day off is Monday, which means simply I try not to study on Monday. It means I try to spend time serving my wife, doing home projects, and trying to be with my kids and help them. But you know what? If you've got an issue and a concern in your heart, call me on Monday. It's not a big deal. Call me on If it's important to you, you say, you know what, I just don't want to forget it and call me. That's fine. Okay? Just because I have a day off doesn't mean that I'm out there and I'm untouchable. If it's important to you, trust me, it's important to me. And I, I just don't see this dichotomy between my work and my family life. I just I don't see it. As a pastor, I have a very difficult time even seeing that in the Bible. That, you know, when I... I have my day off and I'm off here and then, you know, then I'm church work. I mean, church work, family work, it just all melts together. It's a big melting pot. But don't worry, I'm not going to sacrifice my family for the sake of the church. And if I'm busy some Monday, maybe I'll take another day off. That's fine. But you know what? I'm also not going to sacrifice the church for the sake of my family. Because it's all together. And I think about the schedule of many men in this room. What? Your employee, you work Monday through Friday, right? I'm calling many of you men, all of you men, to come Saturday, the men's equippers. And then what about today? Come Sunday. When's your day off? You're full all the time. I understand. I've been there in the workforce. I had somebody call me at 8 o'clock one night, found me in my office, said, Oh, you're burning the midnight oil, huh? I said, You know what? You call me lots of times after I put the kids to bed. I'll be out there. Just, there's enough work to be done. It's not, I, I don't finish, I don't punch a clock done at 5 o'clock because my goal is to be with you. So what he's saying here in verse 31, night and day for a period of three years. And my labor is well worth the effort. Look for what I labor. Verse 31, I'm sorry, not verse 31, verse 28. says, The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. We measure... The worth of something by what we're willing to pay for it, right? I was thinking through what we pay for things and we'll buy a gumball for five cents. Big gumball for 25 cents. A gallon of milk for two dollars. A nice steak dinner for fifteen dollars. A lawnmower for three hundred dollars. A new car for fifteen thousand dollars. A new house for a hundred fifty thousand dollars. A brand new church building for Rock Valley Bible Church? Million dollars. The Chicago Bulls, $500 million. Microsoft, $10 billion. I ask you, how much is the church worth? The church is worth what we're willing to pay for. The church is precious in God's sight because of the tremendous price that God was willing to pay 
does it not deserve our attention and devotion as well? It has my attention and devotion. It has my attention and devotion night and day. Well, let's look last. Fourth point. We're quickly running out of time. We've seen Paul's ministry, which was basically service and speaking. We've seen his destiny, which was affliction. We've seen his prophecy, which is departure and danger. And now we see his security. I stretched on this one a little bit too to get a nice word for you. But we see his trust, his hope, what he's placing his hope in. I mean, I think about you know, people, they place their security in their great you know, port, financial portfolio. That's what, God, that's what he's doing here. He's placing his security and his trust in this thing. God and the word of his grace. Let's one last time, let's revisit Don's illustration. The mother saying to his daughter or son, be careful out there. The son turns and says to his mom, I will. And then what does the mom do? Let's him off. And he's got to trust. He's got to say, okay, there you go. And the mom might offer up a quick prayer. Say, God, I've done all that I can do. I now entrust my child into your hand. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. And now, verse 32, there's that another mark again. And now, I commend you to God. Word translated commend simply means to hand over, to give, to entrust. And Paul says, I've done everything that I can do for you, and now I simply trust God. May He guard you and help you and protect you in shepherding the church at Ephesus. Two weeks ago, I stated that our greatest need at Rock Valley Bible Church is for God. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds the church, they labor in vain who build it. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. It's a perfect illustration at this point. I commend you to God. It's a comforting thought, if you will. It gives Paul a sense of security, knowing that a sovereign God is in control. But notice also he entrusts them to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give His inheritance among those who are sanctified. This is the message, verse 24, the gospel of grace. This is the message of repentance in grace, verse 21. The message of the kingdom, verse 25. The message of the whole purpose of God, verse 27. This is the message of the gospel of grace that we earn nothing before God, but in Christ Jesus, every debt has been paid. That we're free now. We're free to serve God. Sin is no longer master over us. The word of condemnation is that which pounds. And there are times where word of condemnation needs to come, particularly in unbelievers. They need to hear, be pounded down, be pounded down. They might not trust the works of righteousness, but it's, it's the word of grace which can build up, which can help. It's what it says there. Look, it give, it's able to build you up and give the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Well, he concludes the last three verses of his own integrity and sacrifice while among the Ephesians. He said, I coveted no one's silver or gold. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It could never be said of the Apostle Paul, he's in it for the money. In fact, while shepherding the people in Ephesus, he worked a full-time job to support himself. He described, you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he spoke about how he has liberty to do that. He has liberty not to receive anything for proclaiming the gospel, but he also can receive things from proclaiming the gospel. He said, so that I might not be an offense, I didn't. I showed you that by night and day, working hard, what is you must do? 
And Paul labored as an example for them. He says, I covet nothing. So my man, hands minister these needs and I can just take this and respond to you saying, I don't covet your money. If I was in it for the money, I'd still be working computers rather than pastoring because that's where the money is. And that's what Paul said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to give to you of my whole life, my whole heart. Well, there's Paul. We've seen his ministry. We've seen his destiny, his prophecy, and his security. And such is my pledge as a shepherd of Rock Valley Bible Church to give these things to you as well. And I trust that God in the years to come, I long for the day when I might be able to say goodbye to the elders at Rock Valley Bible Church, being able to affirm every, every single one of these things is true and that you might say, you know what, every single one of those things is true in the life of Steve. And I'm going to fail. Be patient with me. You'll see my warts and I'm not doing everything right, right. Be patient with me. Help me along that path. But this is my goal and I think this is what God would call us to do, would call me to do as we seek to obey Don's admonition to be careful out there. To seek to guard what we need to guard, the purity of this church. Well, let's pray. God, I am humble before You in light of the things of the example of the Apostle Paul who perhaps labored better than any pastor ever has labored, who has been set forth as a divine example for us of the task, the work of a shepherd, the pastor's shepherding work. And God, I would pray for the future of Rock Valley Bible Church. This is a day which we can rejoice in and glory in and thank You for. And we would pray that we would keep our eyes and our hearts attentive and focused upon the Lord Jesus upon His forgiveness to us that might redeem us from this evil age. God, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.